Howdy, friends, and welcome back to the Thinking Pilates podcast, where we're having rich conversations not only about Pilates and the Pilates mindset, but about how people move and are moved, the way we think about each other and we play together, how we form relationships with and through movement, and a whole lot of other human-y good things that we think you're going to love. I'm Chantel Lopez. I'm the creator of Said Shenanigans, and I am joined by my delightful co-host, James Crater. We are deeply grateful for your time and attention, as always, and appreciate your feedback, your shares on social media, and your reviews on iTunes, because that kind of love is what keeps us going, keeping you inspired and curious, we hope, for a very, very long time. And now, for the show. Hello, friends and listeners, colleagues and movers. It's Chantel, and we are back again, our slow crawl to the finish of season three. And the important thing is that we are making moves. And that's the tagline for our guest today, Anna Hartman, who is brilliant, kind, sweet, loving, generous, really, really, really good at what she does Anna is an athletic trainer. She works with professional athletes in all genres, and she is the founder of Movement Rev. Movement Rev is the accumulation of all of Anna's experience and training and something that she has formed into her own method. Through Movement Rev, she offers online education and mentorship, which is a project that she just recently launched, her six-month online mentorship, which sounds like it is exciting and also incredibly powerful. We'll give you a bunch of the information on that and other things that Anna's up to at the end of the show and in the show notes. She is also a dear friend and a colleague and somebody that I met many, many years ago, Um, through the world of yoga, actually. She did her teacher training with my best friend here in Sacramento, Corey Martinez, and we connected during a yoga teacher training retreat in Hawaii. It's kind of a glamorous coming together. Anna and I found each other through Corey, not only through the practice and study of yoga, but also through my book, Moving Beyond Technique. And Anna has had a really interesting and dynamic career so far, a very interesting journey, and we're really pleased to have her with us today. The perspective of being an athletic trainer, but also being a master Pilates teacher trainer and all kinds of other things, studying the Baral method through the Baral Institute and many, many other things. Anna is a wealth of knowledge, a natural explorer. Her work includes things like ideas from the movement impairment system, exos, visceral and neuromanipulation, and much, much more, including dry needling. And as I mentioned before, work from the Baral Institute. It's really exciting to share her with you. And of course, we have a lot of fun, uh, Anna and James and I, chatting and connecting and unraveling this crazy thing that we do, teaching the body. 
we get into some really interesting things around the nervous system and about asking questions and being curious and how that shapes our ability to be present and be effective with our students and our clients. I think you're going to really enjoy this one. So I'm going to roll right into our conversation and let you get to know Anna Hartman for yourself. Okay, so I'm going to just jump right in. Uh, I think this is episode 70. That's like a good solid number. I like it a lot. Yeah. 70. All right. So good, good morning, friends. Uh, and I do mean dear, sweet friends. It's Chantel, obviously. <laughs> and I'm here this morning with um, James. Hi, James. Hi, everybody. Hello. Uh, feels like we're on opposite sides of the earth these days, kind of orbiting in big, wide orbits around each other. So it's nice to hear your voice. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we're here with Anna Hartman, who is also a dear, dear, sweet friend of mine and somebody who I hold in the highest, highest esteem for so many reasons, both personally and professionally. And I'm excited to have you back, Anna. It's been, you've been on the podcast before, but it's literally been a few years. Yeah, I'm super pumped to, super pumped to talk to you guys again and be back and and just catch up because I haven't talked to either of you in a while. So, yeah, and we were talking off off recording earlier about how we think you should be our curiosity uh, spirit animal. James and I are in, in agreement about that. So, the way I think this is going to go is similar to the way it generally goes, which is. Um, fluid and free form. And we're just gonna, um, we're gonna just kind of, you know, see what's there. And I I just, I was thinking about this this morning and it's like, I feel like we're offering up a gift to all the people who listen. It's like, this is Anna Hartman. She is a gift of, of kind, of kindness and generosity. And treasure, Anna Hartman. It feels that way. It feels that way. And, and, and the thing I will say, the reason I feel that way is because, um, there's something very special about you and I have always experienced this and admired it, um, so much, which is that you are so curious and you are a seeker and we know many seekers. I mean, we kind of revolve around, you know, that's like the planetary orbit of seekers. However, you have a generosity, um, and, a, a in your, in your curiosity, the way that you share your knowledge and your insights and your experiences with people that really is very unique and, and really not like anything I've ever experienced. And I, I have been very fortunate to be the recipient of that generosity so often. And it's not just that you give, but that you give in the way that you hold space and you listen to what other people um, are sharing. And, and that, I think, is, is maybe the, the biggest piece uh, that a lot of people who know a lot uh, like to say a lot. And so um, you, it's not so. It's very different with you. And I, so that's why I feel like here's a gift, everybody. 
this is Anna Hartman and we're going to kind of make you talk to people. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that was so nice that, that gosh, you're going to make me cry. But... Oh, yay. Good. <laughs> good. It's nice good. to know that, that is, uh, that I am and I appreciate that. So, Yeah. Well, why don't we start with like what you've what you've been up to? Because it's been kind of a lot, I think. Yeah. So in my world, I have been um, working on well, the last year. Last year, I worked on like creating, developing a um, some online education for fellow sports healthcare providers or movement practitioners, and um, it was a long time in creation. And this year I launched it and we're in the middle of it. And so I've been sort of fully immersed in that, which is um, obviously I'm not new to teaching. I've taught for a long, long time, but I'm new to holding space online and new to mentoring a group of people versus mentoring like one or two students at a time. So it's -hmm. it's an exciting adventure and I'm, uh, I'm, happy to be doing it and um every sometimes I get asked like what my expert expectations are for it and I like I don't really have a ton of expectations other than then just experience it and see where it goes and you know and try to do my best and provide as much information and um support to other clinicians as I can and and try to share my <clears throat> thoughts on how the body works and how I work with other bodies and my own body and, and see things a little bit more holistically and, and ultimately get people to appreciate and love the acts of critical thinking and exploring and like, actually it's funny to say it, but like return to like the foundation of the scientific method, which is to have a hypothesis (laughs) and try to prove it wrong. And, um, or prove it right and not feel like a failure when it doesn't work the way you thought it was, but just feel like that's just mm. more information and, and go from there. And so it's funny to me that it's like in teaching people that people, you know, oftentimes people watch me practice or they watch me work with somebody or, or explain what I do. And they're like, Oh, it's very intuitive. And I was like, yeah, it's like, it is, but it's not like, it's just, you know, a curiosity for, Hey, what if I try this? Like, what happens? Like, what if I try this? And and ultimately, if you if you boil that down, it, it is what we first learned in grade school when we were learning about the scientific method. Is like it's okay to be wrong. In fact, you're probably always going to be wrong. And the beauty mm-hmm. in it is proving it. Is is discovering is is discovering in the act of trying to prove it right or prove it wrong. Discovering more and more and more questions. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I, think I that just we wanna... can literally end the interview right there. And that's, <laughs> and that's, there's your golden nugget, everybody. Like the scientific method. Ta-da. Yeah. Well, Ta-da. It, it is interesting. It's interesting because a while ago I was reading um, something about this very thing, which is that most of us are approaching life um, not in what we think is kind of the scientific method. And let's just, we'll just 
bring it into teaching, which is we have a hypothesis and we think that our job is to prove ourselves right. I think that this is the problem. Like this is why we remain like in a sense of um, panic or urgency or like attachment to getting it right because we actually think that that's our job is to get it right. But the actual scientific method is not that. It's if you if you go into a lab or you talk to a, a, an actual scientist, what they're doing is they create a hypothesis and in fact they are working endlessly to prove it wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so yeah. and and so it's a very different perspective. And I I think that it really um it does play out differently in the way you are able to be with people. You know, that's, mm-hmm. um, and I, you know, when I first met James and I observed him doing some work with his spinal cord injury students, um, it's the, it's the same thing that struck me about his teaching that I feel like I would have said I do intuitively as well. Um, but it is mm-hmm. this willingness to, um, be wrong and like invite that because it means mm-hmm. that I, I get to see another piece of the puzzle and that getting it right means that, well, then it, if you feel like you get it right, then you're just a, then what? Like then, then you just get it right. And then you just do that one right thing forever. And then, I mean, how does that serve us? Really? Yeah, how boring. <laughs> exactly. Very boring. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's definitely a different perspective, and I think especially, you know, in the professions we're in, um, it's, like, exacerbated by the fact that we're looked to as the experts, especially in the healthcare field, that we're supposed to have all the answers and know exactly how things work and how to fix things. And, and um, there's a lot of, um, when you're in that and when you're learning that system, there's a lot of... Um, stoking of the ego that happens and and man I mean and that's like addictive right to to feel like you do know everything and you do know all the answers mm-hmm. and you can fix everybody but it's like the number one way I think that we also fail is that we do have this underlying thing of like you know best and and when I let that go you know when I started doing the Burrell Institute work and 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 they said that the smartest person in the room is the body in front of you it was like whoa you know that's right like I'm not mm-hmm. the smartest person in the room and when I when I go into it assuming I'm the smartest person in the room like I am doomed to fail and mm-hmm. um that sucks and then also once I let go of the ego thing it's like man I got a lot more fun because I had permission to not know like I had permission to be like dude I don't know what's going on with you but I am super curious and I'm going to do my best and apply all these methods to try to figure it out with you. Like I'm here for you. Like we're in this together. Let's do it as opposed to like dictatorship. And it's just, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like with, like you said, with the client interaction, it's just such a better experience to feel like you're a team and holding space for people and, and supporting them as opposed to they need you every second of the day to feel better. Like, I don't want anybody to ever feel like they need me. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you know, letting me go, a, like, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. 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 Uh, 
you know, it's a similar experience of, um, you know, when you let go of that idea of um, I, as an expert, can fix someone or it is my responsibility to know everything, uh, it switches the job from, you know, you being in a room and there's like a line of robots to fix walking in every hour to, um, to, to literally having the job feel like it's an adventure. And yeah. You know, there's a new there's a new um, map in front of you every hour. There's a new puzzle. There's a new human in front of you every hour that you get to um, enjoy time with and, and go on that adventure with. And, mm-hmm. and and the time just flies by in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And you know, all, all of us work a lot of hours. And I've mm-hmm. been asked on so many other interviews, you know, like, well, how do you stay fresh? How do you stay rejuvenated? How do you, you know, and certainly, like, um, I'm currently going through a phase of burnout where it's, um, you know, like, the, the repetition is a lot. But the job itself, mm-hmm. the time that I'm there, I don't leave my days feeling exhausted ever. I mean, and yesterday right. I, I saw, I saw like, not, I worked nine and a half hours with people. And Holy I came buckets. home and I was physically tired. <laughs> But I was like, I don't feel, um, I don't feel that. I don't feel the, um, oh, my energy is deplete because mm-hmm. I had to repetitiously fix someone. I was like, man, I learned so yeah. much today, yeah. so much. Absolutely. And I think I get that question a lot too. It's interesting. This just came up in the mentorship of like, how do I prevent people from like sucking my energy, like you know, from like separating mm-hmm. myself from them. Um, and it is, it is people assume because I, I do hold that space and I do create such good relationships with my clients, um, because it is that supportive, I'm here for you. Let's do this together sort of scenario. People assume that I have a hard time separating myself from them. And, you know, I'm not saying that I'm perfect in that aspect because there are times that it, it has been like that, but for the most part, I don't feel like I have a lot of energy suckers anymore. And I don't feel like, um, I have a hard time, um, separating, you know, being empathetic for somebody, but not like letting it make me feel terrible. Right. Like, and so I think that's what it is. Like what you're saying is when you go into it being, um, you know, like a tinkerer as opposed to the expert, mm-hmm. it just, it has a different energy to it. And it's not as exhausting because the exhausting part of being the expert is yeah. having all the answers when, and when legit, no one has all the answers, <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> you know, so, legit. So, so, legit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it is yeah, it's energy so renewing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Uh, Oh, go ahead, Chantel. Go ahead. Oh, just the like. I'm I'm thinking like being a tinker versus a fixer feels like the two. Mm-hmm. You know, the two kind of identities. Um, and we've talked we've talked on the podcast uh, and in our private conversations a lot about when you when you don't um, take ownership of people's success or failures. I think that's part of what allows you to be fluid in the exchange um, and to be in dialogue with somebody and have it not feel like the there's this weight on you to have all the answers all the time. It's it, it's like you don't you don't actually get to take credit for any of it 
you know, it's like, it's, if you are in partnership, if you are in relationship and, and dialogue with your, with your student, it's just like, oh, we're just here. This is just what's happening. It's not about, I'm feeling bad that I have not met your expectation or my own expectations. It's, it's a very different way of holding space that for me, I think is the, that's the bottom line in how I can sustain being with people, you know, over and over and over again. Um, and a lot of times, you know, in workshops, how do you, how do you sustain being with people for eight hours a day for, you know, four days? Like that's, you know, in that kind of an intense delivery, um, situation, but yeah, it's a very different way of, of being that does not negate empathy and certainly, you know, doesn't negate caring. Um, I think you can care deeply without taking uh, all, you know, all the responsibility for what happens. Right. Absolutely. So what, what's like, what kind of cool stuff are you percolating on these days? Like, what are you geeking out on in your work? Um, I mean, kind of the same thing that I have been, you know, just um, in the past, too, when we talked is, you know, the tapping into people's ability to heal themselves, self-regulate, um, you know, maximize their rest and recovery. Like, I think everyone, you know, from the regular person to professional athlete is just, like, missing out on really untapped resources there when it comes to um, feeling resilient. And um, so, you know, like diving deeper into the polyvagal theory, diving deeper into interoception and how um, how to help cultivate that for someone. And um, just, I mean, those kind of have been the themes for the last, you know, a couple years and, and, um, the men, and it's definitely like been one of those things that it's like, I've been practicing that way for many years now with myself and my clients. And so now it's like, okay, like now I have to try to teach it to people. Like, so it's just been another layer of kind of diving deeper into it and understanding it even better than I did before. And, um, so that's kind of where I'm at feel like nervous system and rest, which is inherently tied together. Um, mm-hmm. But that, that, that's it. I mean, it's so magical. I, I think you guys have witnessed it too. It's just like the, well, and I hate it when people use the word magical to describe like what I do with them. It's again, it's like science and physiology and the amazingness of our the human body. But I think, Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you're looking at the human body instead of in parts as is so prevalent in our industries, you know, looking at things mechanically in parts, um, when you can look at it as like this whole organism with all these systems that interact and cannot interact in isolation, then it's like, Mm -hmm. whoa, then you really get to then you then the tinkering really begins like the tinkering is really cool to watch how things change in the body in an area that is seemingly doesn't seem connected to where you're tinkering 
right? Like, which is funny since it's all connected, you know, like <laughs> that we always, yeah, yeah. like that's the, that's the most amazing part is like people are like, oh, that doesn't seem like it's connected. And that just speaks to the whole premise of people think we are all these parts where it's like, no, right. we started as like a joined cell and we and now we're this. Like we have always been one thing that is folded and unfolded and compressed and decompressed on each other and to create this amazing evolved organism. And so it's like you know, I think appreciating that is it, like it, people need to appreciate that when they yeah. step into the space of owning, taking care of themselves and owning that mm-hmm. they have control over how they feel and how they move and how they are in the world. Uh, yes. Which is so, funny that Anna, I'm talking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I don't mean to interrupt you there, but I'm just curious, like how does that conversation go with um, uh, uh, upper echelon and pro level athletes because my experience working with them, even when you are doing, um, well, even even uh, what would be considered classical Pilates, like just mm-hmm. bring an athlete in, just the way classical, straight out of a book, standardized cues moves an athlete, they have never felt that before. They have never been cued in that way before. And so now when we're talking about um, – uh, an embryologic standpoint and a wholeness mm-hmm. standpoint, that's like got to be uh, earth shattering to a lot of these athletes who, who generally believe they really know their body and have generally worked yeah. with top level trainers, healthcare professionals, thinkers within the sports medicine world. So I'm just yeah. curious for my own, like, what is that conversation like? I mean, it's, it's, kind of just like we're having here. It's like I encourage them to be curious about what they're feeling in their body and trust that. And, and like, and that, that's what it is because they are really in tune with their bodies. And mm-hmm. some, somewhere along the line, maybe somebody told them something that didn't align with what they were feeling. And they, instead of believing themselves in that moment, decided to believe the mm-hmm. other person because they were the expert. And so they started this yes. path of like not trusting what they felt. Right. And so when they come, when they come to me and I'm like asking them how they feel and asking them what their experience is, it's like permission, permission to feel again, a permission, permission that you actually are amazing. And, and it's, (laughs) it's interesting to see in their face because there is this moment of like, oh my, like this moment of like, almost like um how do I describe it this moment of like being like oh like you know it's that moment when you do realize like you can trust yourself like you know when you have this intuition about somebody and maybe you weren't really believing it and then months later or years later you find out that that person was lying or that person was (laughs) you know like your intuition was correct there's this moment of being like whoa, I'm amazing. Like, I knew that. <laughs> like, I am I magical. Yeah. Right? I mean, and so this, this I, I think... is the conversation. Yeah, this yeah. this is the conversation of um, two important things there. Like, in, in um, 
not holding back my words, watch your mouth when you yeah. um, when you assume the role of expert because every mm-hmm. little thing you say make a hundred and fifty percent sure that the things you're telling your students, your clients, or whatever are as accurate as you can possibly you know yeah. muster up accuracy because they hear you and it goes right into their story and, they and then you. absolutely. Totally. I mean, like, it doesn't matter, like, oh, you know, you've got that shoulder. we got to watch that shoulder. For the rest of their life, that student is watching their shoulder. And then the story becomes there's something wrong with my shoulder, and then that's the pivot point from which they move. i got to watch that shoulder. i got to watch that shoulder. And maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Like, I don't know. I don't live inside your body. I don't know what's going on with your shoulder. And then the second thing is, you know, I get asked, I work with a, a, a wide spectrum of students, everyone from spinal cord injuries to upper level athletes. And it's like, well, what is it? What is that like to work with athletes? And what is that like to work with? It's like, well, honestly, short of like um, movement capability, the sessions are pretty much the same. Like it's a lot of question asking and a lot of just being with people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot Mm -hmm. of like, I mean, athletes, they're, they're amazing in their performance, they're human like me and you, and they have a very negative self-talk about themselves too. And so it's like, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, so when you're layering on, showing them all the things that are wrong with them, like, God, like, how does that, like, how would that feel to you? Or like, they're human too. And so I, uh, I there, you know, there's one thing, it's funny because, yeah, so what it sounds like when I'm working with an athlete, it sounds just, I say disgusting because it's like, you know, the people who are like totally in love with each other and like always like PDA and like saying how great that's amazing <laughs> to my clients. Like I'm like constantly telling them how amazing they are and how amazing mm-hmm. their body is and how well they do X, Y, Z. And just, uh, one of my pole vaulters, he, he, he like coined me his hype girl. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I am. Actually. I am your hype girl because there, the athletes are so quick to be like, oh, my body sucks. Oh, this sucks. Mm-hmm, like, these all, mm-hmm, here are mm-hmm. all the things that suck. And I'm like, hey, no, actually, you're amazing. Like, you're, you know, you're rehabbing and you're, like, ahead of schedule. And, like, how cool is it that you're healing from this thing? And, like, look at all the things you're doing. And, and so it's like, I get, I'm, 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 and that's going back to the interoception thing, like I'm trying to get them to realize what they say to their body matters as much as what I say to their body matters. And so I am very quickly pointing out when they're being not so compassionate towards themselves. And so I am extra compassionate to them and extra pointing out what's amazing with them um, and reframing their conversations that they're having with me and themselves to be a little bit more on a positive spin with people. Like I just started mm-hmm. working with a new group of, of athletes and, and I was going through this with one of them and she, she like said something bad about her body and I caught her and I was like, Hey, or how amazing are you? And then she laughed and I was like, I know it's like really annoying that I'm this person. <laughs> I was like, because <laughs> it's going to be really apparent for the first two to four weeks working with me. Like, I'm going to sort of, I'm not going to let any of those little comments slide. I was like, because I'm, yeah. I'm the need, same way. I'm the same yeah, way. And need, I think Chantel, you know, like, we're, uh, so, w- welcome, welcome to the show. This is yeah. the positive, positive affirmation group. <laughs> well, you know, 
it's it is interesting because it's like um you know our our regular students who are, don't have the high stakes athleticism on the line are having the same experience they get told something that, or they read something and they believe it you know about their body and then it's their and then it's their story it is their narrative and it it's so pervasive. It's so pervasive. I saw an, an old friend this weekend who has had a shoulder injury and she went finally, you know, to a, um, uh, I didn't, well, she wasn't a sports medicine doctor. I can't remember who she saw, but basically the, the doc told her, well, you have old shoulders, that these were her, his words. You have old shoulders and your shoulders are ruining your posture. And I just looked at her and I said, I don't even know what that means. Like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, none of that makes sense. One, what are old shoulders? <laughs> and, and then, I mean, just think about that. I have old shoulders. I mean, it's a thing that it's like we were laughing about because it's ridiculous. But do you know that that's going to actually stick like that is going to stick with her and right. your yeah. shoulders are ruining your posture for one. What the fuck does that mean? And for two, yeah. it, it just, what you said that like, this is how yeah. experts are actually talking to people. And it's not just, yeah. you know, you know, this is not to like bag on, you know, MDs or whatever, or people who are trying to help, but, but it is, it is pervasive, and our students. Yeah. I was yeah, just it's thinking. Not out of malice. Yeah, not it's out of not malice. Like you're doing it on purpose. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But it is so powerful. It's so um, impactful, and I'm just thinking of like, you can see it. You hear it. People say these things about themselves, and then you see it on their faces when they're thinking it about themselves when they're moving, and I immediately am aware of the impact on their nervous system right? How, how their potential is immediately diminished because they shut down, right? And their nervous system goes into fight or flight or freeze, depending, right? On how strong the narrative is. And it's so fascinating to watch how just the, the narrative changes the physiology immediately. Yeah. Immediately. It's like, maybe this is the very like most important thing we should be doing is changing people's perception so that they can begin to trust themselves. And I always feel like, what am I doing day in and day out? Like, what's my job? I'm, I'm trying to provide an environment where people can trust themselves just a little, just a little more because it changes everything. It does. It does. I mean, I had that same experience when I was 15. I had knee surgery in the, in, in recovery, like post-op recovery, the doctor comes in and tells me, oh, you have the knee of an old, unlucky running back. Wow. What? Are you just trying to paint a colorful picture on purpose or <laughs> what is this? Right. Like, why would you say that? And then the, and then the visual around that is amazing. Yeah. And then my sister's response, she was, you know, she was like 18 at the time. She's like, oh my God, Anna, you're lucky you can even walk. And I was like, what, what, like, what is happening? Like, I remember just being like, is this like real life? Like, am I still asleep? What is, like, it was just crazy. And then, you know, years later, my favorite story I tell people is 
at Exos, I was uh, working with this, well, not even working. There was this um, hockey athlete that trained with us for years named Shane Doan. He recently retired after playing 21 seasons in the NHL, which is insane. He's one of the best hockey players ever and one of the best human beings on the planet. And one day he asked to work with me because he had heard that, you know, it would be helpful and improve his performance and stuff. He didn't have, he didn't, he was not injured. It wasn't like a rehab medical thing. It was literally just, he wanted to maximize his experience um, performing and, and so I evaluated him, and this was right in the time of my life where, you know, I was like mid to late 20s. I thought I knew everything. And, uh, you know, that ego was like so fed. And I evaluated him, and I was like, okay, Shane, like, here's all the things you have wrong with you. And I like listed out all this stuff. And I remember seeing his face. He looked at me like with this look of like surprise. And he's like, and he kind of said it jokingly, and he was like, geez, Anna, he's like, according to you, I can't breathe, I can't walk, like, I can't do X, Y, Z. He's like, I'm basically lucky to be alive, huh? <laughs> and I, like, laughed and thought he was joking and everything was cool. And so I was like, okay, well, like, let me know when you want to, reschedule, like, schedule your appointments. And he's like, okay, yeah, I'll let you know. And then, like, a week goes by, and he doesn't schedule anything with me. And so I asked his coach, I said, hey, like, I haven't, Shane, Shane wanted to work me, but he didn't schedule anything like, you know, what's up. And he, and his coach, I'm like so grateful for both Shane pointing it out to me and his coach pointing it out to me. He said, frankly, Anna, Shane really likes you as a person, but he doesn't want to work with you because he felt really uncomfortable. You pointed out everything that was wrong with him. Uh, and I've I heard like, this story before. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I was like, yeah. whoa. I was like. Oh, like, and at the time I didn't fully get it. Like I got it, but I didn't get it. And then I, and then it's like, as, as the years have gone by, I'm like, man, I am so appreciative for that experience because in that moment I was like, Ooh, yeah, maybe it's not so great to point out all the things that are wrong with somebody. And so, you know, like that's the thing. And he's right. Like, yeah, sure. Could he have improved some of his movement patterns? Absolutely. Could he have improved some of his like, uh, ability to rest and recover absolutely could i framed it a little bit differently 100 percent and <laughs> um you know and but he was right he had so much that was amazing about his body and so much that was amazing about who he was and his performance like how come i couldn't have just pointed out all, all of that for him <laughs> supported that and then been like we're going to make it even better Here's the things we're going to yeah. attack. And so it, it it really was like the catalyst for me, like beginning to change my language around how I talked to people. And, you know, it's taken a long time. <laughs> but I finally feel like I do a better job of that. And yeah. I well, and like I... the majority of my athletes, like when they work with me, part of the reason they like working with me is because I'm their hype girl. Because they feel really damn good when I'm around them. Not because I'm yeah. making them feel good with my hands or with something I'm giving them, but because I'm giving them permission to to recognize all that amazingness within themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, you and I have talked about this in terms of um, positive balance and implicit memory. And um, I remember you shared a story with me at some point about running and about 
you tapping into a memory of of like how joyful it was to run across the playground right. and you yeah. know i think this was at a time when you were like you you'll have to you know fill in the gaps for me but my memory is that this was around like feeling really badly about you know the health of your knees and that you couldn't do what you used to do but there was something that you tapped into that was so joyful and so positive and we got into this conversation about positive balance and positive emotional tone in terms of the way we store memory and implicit memory is the way we build motor skill so there is this direct link between the the um this kind of balance right or this f- feeling tone of the way we are being able or being invited to be with our bodies whether we're experiencing something that's uncomfortable or uh, unfamiliar or maybe just downright scary and painful that we as the teachers as the coaches, you know, holding space in a very specific way can invite, it can be the difference, right? Between people experiencing change or not experiencing change, just even the willingness to see that there might be something more that's possible than what they've been believing. And it's not just emotional and psychological, it's physiological. Like it literally is about how the brain learns movement. And I just think that's so cool, this connection, you know, that these are not separate things. These are, these are bound, you know, like really tightly bound together. Um, and I have always, you know, I think about that um, conversation that we had and it's informed a lot of what I've done and, and how I um, approach teaching much more explicitly from that perspective. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's the science of it. Like, when you combine a feeling with an emotion, it, it's, like, it's so powerful. It's how we regulate our homeostasis, mm-hmm. literally. And so, um, yeah, and then when you do look at the motor, motor development research, same thing. When there's a positive experience associated with a movement pattern, it is instantly stored for, for, um, retrieval and future uh, movement tasks. And so it's like, how, how amazing that, 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 and then that, that, uh, what we're doing is in that moment, what we're doing is we're improving people's interoception, which is just another word for body awareness. And that's improving Mm -hmm. someone's body awareness is so important for their well-being as well as their movement. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. it's, um, like you said, allowing, like holding space for them to feel something, whether it's good or bad, but to have an experience of it is really powerful. And there, in the, in the um, reading I was doing in preparation for some of this for the mentorship, I came across this paper talking about body awareness and, um, it was interesting because they looked at one of the studies looked at like chronic pain and they noticed that if the person actually tried to distract themselves from the pain during the activity, like to ignore it, which so many times people are told to just ignore the pain, right? Um, they have actually a greater level of post-activity pain, whereas if you were just allowed to feel the pain and be in it and 
you know, feel how your body is reacting to a situation, the post-activity pain was actually less. And so um, it just goes to show you, like, how powerful um, the act of feeling, improving body uh, awareness and body ownership and agency is in, in our self-regulation of our mm-hmm. of our body's ability to heal and in in our well-being in general. So, mm-hmm. so uh, can I add two things to that? One, um, uh, tagging onto what you just said, sort of a little teaching tip. Something I've been doing along that same line is having people sort of address where they are experiencing the sensation of pain, and then whatever movement it is we're doing, what would it feel like? if the movement came from the place you're feeling pain. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're sort of inviting that space in the body to participate and even create the experience of movement. And it's been really remarkable to watch, um, you know, a, a, wide, a wide array of, of pains sort of subside when they're just invited to the party. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's sort of in, in alignment there. The other yeah. thing is um, uh, on Instagram, I've, uh, a while ago, I started following Dr. Huberman, and oh yeah, I a scientist out of Stanford. And I haven't done any research, but just I think it was yesterday or the day before, he posted a thing on the brainstem and the way the brainstem yes. sort of uh, participate or creates movement mapping. And in it, uh, I just watched the minute blurb. I haven't uh, dived in, so this is my uh, my ignorant um, self just talking about something I absolutely know nothing about. So this is what I heard. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> so this, do it. So, do it. So the, do, do not do not write any research on this. Do not go and do this with your students. <laughs> this is for you to Google. Um, he was talking about the brainstem and how it maps movement, and how uh, with that, um, when we are learning specifically a new motor skill, we have to get the auditory systems involved the sight systems involved, the kinesthesia or the body sensations involved. And the way that all of those maps come together equal signs good movement strategies or bad movement strategies. And so that's often why when we're learning a new skill, we're so clumsy at it. It's not just a motor map, not just a motor skill thing. It's the way the brainstem is mapping everything. Like, well, how far, you know, hand-eye coordination, how far is something away from me? Where am I in space? And ironically, all of those eye, ear, kinesthesia things, equal sign, polyvagal theory, interoception, everything we're talking about. So it's like, Mm -hmm. no matter which way we're talking about it, if we're talking about pain management, if we're talking about skill acquisition, if we're talking about, you know, learning your Pilates repertoire, we're literally talking about the same thing. It's an invitation to invite your sensory organs uh, self and co-regulation to sort of create the safety and the space so that you can diminish your pain, so that you can learn a new skill. So interesting. It's like right. not a different operational mode to be in. It's not like, oh, I need to be this person in order to teach, um, you know, an NBA athlete, but I need to be this person over here to work with a spinal cord injury case, and I need to be this person over here to just teach someone the teaser. It's like, nope, it's just it's the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's the same thing. And how amazing the same thing is that we are this human organism that is a sensory driven being like, 
We yeah, have right? more sensory. <laughs> like we are. <laughs> right. Surprise. So, Eyeballs matter. Surprise. Right. Right. And, <laughs> like my favorite quote is from Jill Miller, you know, the yoga tune-up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she says the body thinks and feels, right? The body thinks mm-hmm. and feels. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. And, and for whatever reason along the way, it's like people forgot about the feeling part or the right. feeling part mm-hmm. began, got to be too, um, too feminine in a way, right? Like it was yeah. too much of a sign of like sensitivity um, mm-hmm. and not strength. And so like, especially the strength and, strength and conditioning industry just was like, well, let's get rid of this feeling. Feeling does nothing for us, right? Like feeling is mm-hmm. just, uh, just blocks us from moving the amount of weight or performing the way we want to, where it's like, actually, no, the feeling is what makes us really good at what we're doing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. really safe at what we're doing. And, yeah, perhaps a lot of the injuries and the pain that is created in activity is us not feeling or ignoring what we're feeling, right? Like not listening to the body and assuming that we know better, that assuming that feeling is bullshit, which is not. Well, yeah, right. Or that it's necessary to override to get to the important stuff. Exactly, right. And so it's mm-hmm. like, you know, um, the more we learn about how the organism and all the systems work, the more we realize, like, whoa, yeah, the feeling stuff is actually really important. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because we're sensory beings. So that's what it's all about. <laughs> it's what it's all about. Um, it's all about feeling. <laughs> that's it, folks. <laughs> yep, that's it. Mic drop. That's right, mic drop. The, the interesting thing, I think, too, is reading all that body awareness articles was just that it's like, you know, some chronic pain things and some things like fibromyalgia and other, other chronic pain syndromes like that is like people assume it's like too much feeling and it is to a sense. It's a, a hyper awareness of the normal level things, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But actually mm-hmm. a poor amount of body awareness or feeling of different levels. And so... It's like a feeling that's out of tune, right? So part Mm -hmm. of what actually improves it, even though it's a feeling dysfunction, is feeling more and getting better at interpreting the feel. Yeah, right. All different types of feel, right? So that's that's interesting in itself is, is that it's a feeling problem, but you fix the feeling problem by actually feeling more. Right. Because there are no, I mean, there are no options, right? When there's only one way of experiencing, there's nowhere to go. So then you are, it's like a dam, you get stuck in this one particular experience because you just, you don't know how to be aware of the other, of the other versions or other layers. Yeah. It makes total sense. Um, I wonder if there's anything, uh, James, our kind of pre-show discussion about, and you touched on it just a little bit, but I think maybe there's just um, a, a bit more we might mine in regards to this idea that we have to be um, all kinds of expert, you know, with all kinds of degrees and specific certifications and no 
um, a million different modalities in order to work with one particular individual or an individual in one particular way, and then we switch modes, and then we switch modes. Um, but that that maybe this is uh, a confusion in perspective, and that really everything that we've talked about so far in the show speaks to a very different approach, which is how you put it was um, a way of being. Like, what is it that we can do to create a way of being with our teaching and with our students that is holistic and not isolated in the way that we've been kind of discussing and does rely on sensing and feeling into the experience rather than these kind of um, separate modalities or modes of of strategy. Um, what? Because I think we're we're circling. We've talked about it. Like we've been talking about it. But but yeah. what's yeah. the what's the explicit shift that we're talking about? Yeah, this has been. You know, it's it's sort of. It's sort of been our work, and when I say our, I mean the collective us, of all of us uh, that are, uh, for lack of better words, shifting away from the directive dictatorship of, of the fixer and out into this sort of exploration, facilitation, being with people um, way of, of teaching or uh, being with our students. And it's been at the forefront for me because, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be teaching at the PMA this year um, on polyvagal stuff. And we have to have all of our finalized uh, uh, syllabi in by June. So I've been, you know, sitting with this uh, on and off. And, you know, in my head, I'm like, well, I know how I work, and I know what, what I find value in when I'm working, but what if, what if everyone in the audience doesn't have the same value system? Like, maybe not everyone cares about sociology and kindness and, and how all of that gets represented in movement. Maybe someone is into performance, or maybe someone is into pain management, or maybe someone like, how do I begin to frame the conversation um, to invite more interest into it? And so I'm sitting there with the syllabus, and I'm looking at it. I'm like, well, how? Like, which which way do I jump into this conversation about polyvagal theory and um, nervous system and all all of the work? And then I'm like, you know what? We're taught it's the same thing. It's no matter which, no matter what is important to you, whether you are someone who is interested in or interested in teaching uh, uh, performance enhancement, pain management. Um, uh, kindness and sociology and culture building through movement, uh, awareness through movement, like all of the things, like you name it. And I, I'm someone who doesn't like to reduce something to the psoas or the feet as being important or fascia as being important. But to me, this idea of, of nervous system, and in particular the vagus nerve and the way we self and co-regulate, is the point at which when we jump into teaching or being with um, ourselves or with our students or whatever, if, if we can just begin to catch a little bit of glimmer around the polyvagal theory in general or the macro level of what that means, the way that it inlets us into teaching and being with people is, um, you know, is deep, is rich, and touches so many, so many bases. 
And, you know, it's, it's, it is the conversation we've been having today and the conversation that we have been having ever since I've been on the podcast and the conversation, uh, you know, a lot of different people are having. And it's the switch from, you know, uh, as we framed it today, from fixer to tinkerer, from switching to, uh, you know, directive teaching to question asking and facilitating from uh, listing all of the things that people are doing wrong to bringing to light all of the things that are amazing and good. And, you know, e- even to circulate back to the idea of, of magicalness or magic. I, I hate that. I have always hated the idea that, you know, Pilates is magic or movement is magic, blah, 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 blah. blah. What, what has really become crystal clear to me is none of that is magic, but the experience of it is magical. And the idea that we can just, you know, be in pain or think that we can't do something and then within 30 seconds have that experience shift so, so, so drastically to, oh, wow, moving from that pain point made it not hurt. Or, oh, I never thought I could do that. And then all of a sudden I am doing that. And the experience of that is magical. And I Mm -hmm. think if we just sort of zoomed out of this, you know, classic way of dealing with the body and this very um, uh, regimented way of of teaching, like it's got to be right or wrong or whatever. And a lot of it is just in the narratives. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm like you, Anna, with like uh, I'm I'm on my students with with negative talk all the time. And even... um, you know, it gets sneaky. Like I have some students that, you know, have progressed away from the self-talk, but it will even come in on, you know, someone who's had hip pain for X amount of time, but out of hip pain, they come in and I ask, you know, what they've been up to. Well, I've been doing this, this, and this, and this, and I'm just really being careful not to hurt my hip again. I'm like, well, if you're being, there's one thing in being cautious of your environment, like, right, you know, we live in, I live in Northern California. If you're going to go trail running right now, please, by God's sake, be cautious of the rattlesnakes. Be aware that right. that is out <laughs> there, but don't, don't not go trail running because you want to be cautious of your good feeling hip. In the narrative, right. you, you know, in, in that dialogue, you're just telling me like, there's still something wrong with you. And so yeah. <laughs> the idea of how do we begin to, you know, um, explicitly discuss narrative, explicitly invite your student in with question asking, explicitly Mm -hmm. create uh, an environment of trust and support, explicitly explain that I am not the expert. I am just here to help guide you in your expertise. All of that, it doesn't matter if you're dealing with pain management. It doesn't matter if you're dealing with performance enhancement. It doesn't matter if you want to save the world through push-ups. Like, it is the same (laughs) thing. It's the same conversation, and it takes it out of, like, oh, I've got to be really good at pain management. I've got to be – I've now got to go get the certification in, you know – a reformer for athletes or whatever it is. It's like, nope, you just got to get really good at being a good human being. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's mm-hmm. what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and this is, brings us full circle, I think, to the gift that is Anna Hartman and why, <laughs> uh, why I think you are, are so amazing at what you do. And it certainly is not, um, not about your skill because you have uh, loads and loads of many, that. Many, 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 many skills. 
<laughs> but it is, it is first and foremost about how you show up for people. Um, in just to wrap things up, um, let's end with kind of a, I think valuable and yet slightly cliche thing, which is uh, words of advice, wisdom. If you, you know, you're talking to a, a huge room of teachers and um, clinicians and therapists, like what's the thing you want to leave people with? Um, I mean, I would want them to know, like, to, like, feel like they didn't have to figure everything out. Like, it's okay not, not to know what you're doing. <laughs> because mm-hmm. nobody knows. Like, I don't know what I'm doing either most of the time. And so it's, like, permission to let go of the belief that just because you are the person somebody is paying to help them makes you the expert, right? Like, um, to like permission to let go of that and to admit to your clients or admit to people that you are learning, but they're and ready to help. Right. And like, we'll do everything you can to help them. Like, that's it. Like that's as, as, as crazy as it is. Like, it is just like you are, have permission to not have to know everything. Mm-hmm. And that's it. <laughs> like, I mean, I get, uh, that's my partying words of wisdom. It doesn't matter if you're a new grad or, or, you know, or like newly into the profession or have been teaching for 35 years. Like, it's okay to feel like you don't know everything. And you, you don't. should feel like you don't. <laughs> yeah, you should feel like you don't know everything. And that when you yeah. just embrace that and trust the body in front of you has all the answers, then you can actually see it, right? Like I feel like sometimes when we don't, when we believe we have the answer and the, and for the body in front of us, it's like we don't even see that body in front of us. And so right. trusting that you don't have the answers, but the body does allows you to hold that space for someone and to be a tinkerer, right? And mm-hmm. to appreciate mm-hmm. how a body can still move despite, you know, it being in pain or despite it having a structural limitation, right? Like it, that, that, that our human organism just organizes itself to keep on thriving and so you know just to pay attention and be an observer and be curious about watching what changes in front of you as you add whatever it is you add to their experience whether it be an exercise on a piece of equipment or um, a way of being from moving from the pain or a way of being in 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 uh, experiencing movement through cues of feeling as opposed to cues of um, action, right? And so just see what happens. And mm-hmm. when it doesn't happen the way you think, gather more information and continue to move forward and and communicate with your client. Like, be curious about what they're feeling and thinking. Don't be afraid to ask right. questions. Well, I think ultimately what we're talking about, what you're talking about is that... Um, the difference between having a constricted view and an open view. And 
when you're worried about getting it right, it's so, it's so tight, right? It's so, it's so constricted that you actually can't access the skills and tools that you have built. And when you approach it from this place of curiosity and openness and a willingness to get it wrong over and over and over again, it is so spacious that, that it's like the, the tools are just there, right? They're just there. You just, oh, it's like, oh, they just rise to the surface because you're, it's like you are quiet enough in your own, like grasping at getting it right that you can just see like, oh, what, well, like maybe this, right? Just rises to the surface. And to me, that's magical, right? That I, it's like, I, I can get out of my own way and things just happen. And I, being in the studio with James, I see this, it's like, I see this energetically when we're teaching together. It's like, oh, we're just witnessing, we're just engaging, we're just dialoguing. And it's like, oh, magic, uh, magic. Oh, what the hell just happened? Oh, that's fantastic. (laughs) What, where did that, well, that's, you know, it's just, there is spaciousness and, and that to go back to something we were talking about earlier is for me, the way I sustain energy around teaching is that there's not grasping, right? There's not this tension around finding the right thing always. It's like, just listen. And I love what you said about, you know, get curious about what your students are experiencing. I think that's what you said. You know, what, what is, what's their, what, how do they interpret things? Like what's their, you know, what's their take on it? Uh, Anna, I love you. I love you too. (laughs) I love you both. I love you too. (laughs) It's a big magical love fest. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for spending time with us and it's wonderful to chat with you and to dig into these kinds of things and, and really again, to, to put you in front of the thinking Pilates audience. I know many people know you and know of you and it's, it's so sweet to think that many people are meeting you for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate, I appreciate you sharing me with the world. (laughs) My pleasure. Our pleasure. Well, once again, we hope you enjoyed listening and meeting Anna Hartman, one of the most genuine and curious humans I have ever had the pleasure to meet. You're going to learn all about her in the show notes. You can also just head straight over to movementrev.com and check out Anna's offerings and what she's all about and learn a little bit about her vibe and her mission, her vision, all that good stuff and connect with her. As always, we thank you so much for your time and your listening. And before you go, we want to share some things that we've really been promoting this season, two things in particular, and one is coming up in just about a month and a half, Momentum Fest, which is a Pilates and movement celebration in Colorado. It's happening June 21st through 23rd. So coming up really, really soon, still tickets available to come and enjoy moving and being in community with others 
It's happening at the Westin Westminster, which is actually smack dab between Denver and Boulder, Colorado. I will be presenting, James will be presenting lots of wonderful people from all different types of movement backgrounds will be sharing their work with you. And then there will just be a ton of people having fun and moving. And I honestly can't think of a better way to spend a few days of my summer. So we want you to check out MomentumFest.com and grab your tickets and sign up for classes. There are equipment classes that we're all running, and there are also large group movement classes. And then this year, they are also offering continuing ed credit workshops. Our very own James Crater will be presenting Shift Happens with Anula Myberg, and that happens on Monday, June 24th. You can grab the details on the Momentum Fest website under CEC Workshops. Jessica Vallant, who is the co-founder of Momentum Fest, is also presenting Fitness After Baby on that same Monday for continuing end credits. So if you're a teacher, and you probably are if you're listening to this podcast If you're going to go, there might be some opportunities to fulfill your very awesome CEC requirements while you're there. We're excited about this and we hope you'll join us. Last year, I road tripped with my kids to Momentum Fest, a little uh, snippet of van life for the three of us, and we're going to do it again this year. So it's becoming a little family tradition and I can't wait. We'll be showing up probably really grungy, but it's going to be awesome. And we can't wait to see you there. The other thing that we've been talking about all season is the science and psychology of teaching master's program, which I co-founded with my colleague, Ann Bishop, who is the founder of Body Brain Connect, an educational company. The master's program is a five-month online in-depth exploration of just what it says, the science and psychology of teaching. We dive deep into motivational science, brain science, how the brain learns movement, and how to teach from this perspective, as well as inter and interpersonal psychology, humanistic psychology, motivational science, which is really exciting. We explore something called motivational interviewing and empathy coaching, looking at how we can craft and shift our relationships with our students in order to produce more profound results for them. The program is currently midway through, but Anne and I are revamping things and we're excited to announce that we will have a second round of the program starting in September and running through January with another round starting in February and running through June. Both programs will culminate in a live event held at the end of June in Sonoma County, beautiful wine country here in California. The live event is really this beautiful opportunity to take all of the things that you've been working on, learning, integrating, and exploring over the course of five months and put them into practice, explore them through discussion and discourse and exchange. The other really exciting thing, maybe one of the most exciting things about this program besides it's different than anything else that's out there in terms of developing teachers because we're not focused on repertoire, although we don't ignore it. It's not really what the program is about. 
And that thing is that it's project-based. So each teacher comes in with an idea and Anna and I support you in developing that idea. This year we have a teacher from Canada developing a teacher training program. We've had teachers developing workshops, continuing education, also full-on studio models. So you can go big, you can go small, but throughout the course of the program, we help you apply the work and the information to craft this project so that at the end, you have something very concrete to work with and to take with you out into the world. Now, there's a lot more to all of that, but if you want more information and you want to connect with us, you can check out PilatesMastersProgram.com and you can get all the details. You can also hear a little bit more from teachers who've gone through the program in the past several years. You can connect with me always at Chantil at SkillfulTeaching.com and with James and I both through the Thinking Pilates podcast at gmail.com email or directly through the website ThinkingPilates.com. I would be remiss if I did not also invite you to leave your reviews on iTunes. It's what keeps us amped up and excited about the work that we're doing and lets us know that we are giving you something that you're interested in. So feel free to leave us a review, offer your comments on the website under the show notes, send us a direct email. Both of our personal emails are also on the website in the show notes. So lots of ways to reach us. For now, I will leave you to your drive home or to finish the dishes or put the babes to bed or head out for a run or a walk or whatever it is that you have on your agenda next. Until next time, breathe deep and teach well. (music) 